Father, we just uh, thank you. We can't, um, we can't thank you enough for how great you are. All that you do in our lives and all that you mean to us, that you were a God who created this world that didn't walk away from it, that you want so much to be a part of our lives every day. We thank you for that. We just celebrated the greatest gift you've ever given or could ever give in the, the death, the life, and resurrection of your son. We thank you for that, that he would die for us. And so this morning, Father, we just um, we lift up everything that's in everybody's hearts this morning, all the good things of life and all the struggles of life, because we know you're in all of that. Father, we just pray this morning that you would allow each of us to leave this morning with a special sense of who you are and that you are with us in all that we do. We love you and praise you. We lift these prayers up in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a seat. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Woo, that's good. I uh, definitely want to thank John Ivins for leading this morning. Uh, and uh, if you've been following on Facebook, I probably wouldn't have been able to put those songs together this week. It's just been crazy for me. Uh, and maybe you've had the same kind of week. Um, but you know God is still on his throne. And there are far worse things that can happen than leaky water pipes. Right? So... Um, but hey, I'm, I'm really grateful just to have the opportunity to preach with you this morning, uh, preach, preach, <laughs> preach this sermon this morning. Last time I preached this sermon um, was a couple weeks ago, and the preacher, as uh, I was going to the church, as I got to the church, I had learned that the preacher was in the hospital, in the ER, till about four o'clock with a, uh, four o'clock in the morning with a bleed that they couldn't get under control. So I told Aaron, are you sure you want me to preach? And uh, he said, go for it. But, and so we were monitoring Aaron all week, but I wasn't really monitoring me. But that's okay. Uh, we're good. And uh, uh, so many of you guys know that uh, what I do on Sunday mornings is not my full-time job. My full-time job is a camp manager and, of Camp Rudolph. And each year we put together a centralized theme for our summer camps. Um, and this year our centralized theme that we're doing for our summer camps is uh, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. The greatest of these. Okay, and so it's based out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, which says, um, if you would click on that for me, because, okay, so now, <laughs> faith, hope, and love abide, uh, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I've got the, the NIV version in my head, so, um, I, uh, but uh, this is what this verse says, and uh, this is where we're going to be, uh, what I'm going to be speaking on today, um, is the greatest of these is love. If you want to go ahead and turn into your scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're actually going to be kind of around that whole chapter this morning uh, in, verse, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, so uh, feel free to do that uh, and uh, find it on your Bible apps, in your Bibles as page ruffles. Hey, that's awesome. But uh, let's pray together as we uh, begin our morning this morning. Father, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we ha have to, uh, to look into your word. 
to grow from it, Father, to, to be changed by it. And uh, Father, this morning I pray that, um, that God, all the things that have happened uh, this past week, whether they, uh, they've been uh, bad things, I, I pray that we can just lift those up to you. Um, and God, just to rest in your, your arms here for this little while, to help us to limit our distractions and, and be able to focus on your word. Uh, God, for the things that have happened this week that have just been awesome and blessings, uh, God, we just thank you for those things and we lift those up to you uh, as, as a sacrifice of praise to you, God. And so uh, we just pray for our time this morning, God. We pray um, that you will help us to understand uh, this most excellent way. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Love is in the air. Anybody hear that song before? Anybody ever hear that before? We sing about love all the time. We talk about love all the time. We say these words all the time, love. But I think a lot of times is that we get a little bit uh, sidetracked as far as what love really is. And so we turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, This is one of those chapters that I've heard quoted uh, a lot in my lifetime uh, that talks about love. It's, it's something that you hear in conjunction with weddings, and people feel like that if, if they don't have this chapter read at their wedding, that their, that their marriage won't be made holy or something. Um, we see this uh, as plaques on our walls. Maybe, we've had, maybe you have these on your walls in your house, where you've got the, the middle part of this chapter plastered or embroidered or something, and it's on your wall, uh, and that's fine. Um, but this is frequently known as the uh, love chapter of the Bible. And, and, all, and this, none of these things that I've just mentioned really diminish what the, uh, what, how love is defined here. Um, but I think we often dismiss the context and the reason that we have these words in the first place. So uh, this morning, we're just going to kind of take a walk through kind of the whole book of 1 Corinthians, but our main focus is going to be on this 13th chapter. So buckle up, there's a lot of stuff. All right, you ready? All three of you are. All right, we're good. All right, so uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth to address several different things that were were all rooted in the same issue. Uh, You see, the church in Corinth was, um, they were a church that was eager for greatness, like they really desired to be great, but not as a church as a whole, rather the individuals in the church. And like many of Paul's letters, he wrote them to deal with a lack of unity within the church. They, a lot of people in the church became very boastful towards others with regard to who was greater based on who led them to Christ. Or some thought that they were more wise than other people in the church. And some were practicing sins that were so detestable that even society thought that it was despicable. And the church, they, they accepted it. And they, they thought it was, I don't know, maybe they made jokes about it. Like, can you believe we've got a guy like that in our church? You know, and, and so these are some of the things that Paul wrote. Uh, some people in the church wrote a letter to Paul asking them, asking him about should should Christians be married or not, uh, or whether eating meat sacrificed to idols was considered a good thing, or how to conduct meetings, or uh, how to how to how to do to how their excuse me and their desire to attain greater spiritual gifts. You see, all of these situations that we just mentioned, all of them were really rooted in one main problem, their own self-righteousness. Their own self-righteousness. Man, that's a, that's a lot going on in a little church, isn't it? 
And, and a lot of times we say we want to be like the New Testament church. Man, whew, I think we have our own problems, don't you? But I'm glad that we can look at, at other churches and say, man, we can, we can learn from them. So, but what they failed to see was that the gifts that the Holy Spirit had already imparted onto them, like wisdom or faith or giving or tongues, or were, they, were, they were blinded by their self-righteousness and, and, they felt, and they failed to see the greatest gift of all that was given to them by the Holy Spirit, and that was love. And in their failure, uh, in their failure, it not only broke the unity of the church, but it also destroyed the church's credibility in the community. And many in the church desire greater gifts, but Paul, address, Paul addresses this, uh, it, this particular thing uh, in this whole chapter. And, and so from, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13, we kind of get this glimpse of, you know, it's great that you desire greater gifts, but they're really meaningless if you don't love. And then in, in verses 4 through 7, Paul defines what he means by that. What is love? How do we do that, those things? And uh, how, do we, how do we do this thing called love? And then he talks about in, in 8 through 13 uh, about what makes love so much greater than any other gift that is given to man by the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I really just want to expound on that thought of love being the greatest, and that if we can grasp this most excellent way and unite ourselves in it, then we will love each other and the world the way that God does. So the first thing that we see in verse 13 is that faith and hope are great things. They're great things, and we, but they're not the greatest they're not the greatest. They're great things, but they're not the greatest. And so we've, we've, uh, last week, Aaron talked a lot about this, this faith and this hope that we have in Jesus Christ through the death, burial, and the resurrection. And, and, and so uh, I'm not going to really spend a whole lot of time talking about faith and hope and what they are, but, uh, but he references these two things as, uh, uh, as being great. And in fact, he references these two things back in chapter 12 faith and hope, as being gifts that are given to us, a spiritual gift. We, we emphasize this with spiritual gifts assessment tests and things like that. If you're, if you're not sure what that is, uh, come talk to Aaron or me. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll help you work that out. But, uh, but, but, but then part of these things is, is are, are, you, are you a faithful person? Are, are you a person of faith? Are you a person of hope? And so these are things that you can assess and you can, you can say, man, maybe that might be me. And so these are, these are actually gifts that are imparted to us by the Spirit. Now, out of all the spiritual gifts, faith is one of these three things that, that Paul says will remain. It will abide. So out of all the spiritual gifts, and why does he mention, why, does, why is faith great? Out of everything else, why isn't giving listed as one of the greats? Well, like I said, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about what faith is. You can look at Hebrews 11. There gives, uh, Hebrews 11 chapter 1 gives a definition of what that is, uh, where the author writes that uh, faith is being uh, the reality of what is hoped for and proof of what is not seen. You know, uh, faith is, is actually essential to the Christian salvation. I mean, if we didn't have faith, we, how, how can we be a Christian? Uh, Hebrews eleven six that without faith it's impossible to please God since he who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Ephesians two eight you are saved by grace through faith. Faith is essential for the Christian salvation. Faith is the reason that we can accomplish many amazing things like healing through prayer. Or, or walking through troubles in life knowing that, that God is going to take care of us. Or, well, 
take a look at the rest of the book of Hebrews and look at all the amazing things that people did through, through faith. Without faith, why would there be a, a reason for us to gather together here each week? Faith is, is, is key. Faith is essential for Christians. And faith is what helps us to trust in God even when we cannot see what he's doing or where he's taking us. And there's so much more that we can say about faith this morning, but um, for the sake of time, I mean, I, I could, I mean I'm already going two and a half hours. But, uh, but uh, for the sake of time, we're just not going to worry about uh, the rest of what this is. You can read and study about faith on your own, but these are some of the main things that makes faith the, one of the greatest things that the Spirit has given to us. But why is it not the greatest? Well, back up in verse 12 of chapter 13 there. Paul says these words. We only see as a reflection in a mirror. Right now, we have no idea. Like, we, we trust and we believe and we, we only know in part right now. But then, that but then means the day that Jesus returns. We're going to understand in full. And our faith is going to be fulfilled. We won't have any more need of it. Because our faith will be our, our sight. We'll be able to see those things. And I, I can't wait for that day. For that day for us to be able to fulfill our faith in Jesus Christ. So hope is one of the second things that he says is one of the greatest. As, and, and Paul mentions as remaining. And many times throughout the New Testament we see faith and hope uh, kind of linked together. Uh, oftentimes when I just read that Hebrews 11.1, 1, hope is part of the definition of faith. And so they're, they're oftentimes linked together, especially in Paul's letters. So it's no wonder that he would do that here and link them together. But why is hope one of these three greats? Well, again, hope is tied to our salvation. Romans 8, 24 and 25, Paul talks about that this hope that we are saved, uh, in this hope that we are saved and hoping for what we do not see. And in Colossians 1, 23, he talks about not shifting from the hope of the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, Paul talks about the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. Hope is the reason that we persevere. Romans 5, 2 through 5, Paul talks about perseverance bringing hope and hope not putting us to shame. In, in Hebrews 6, 11, it says the assurance of hope till the end. We hope in eternal life. We hope for that day that Jesus returns. We are hopeful in those things. In Titus 2.13, hopeful for the blessed, or waiting for the blessed hope. And then again in 3.7, the hope of eternal life. And in 1 Peter 1.3, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The list goes on and on and on about this hope being so important to the Christian. And so we can see why it's one of the greatest. But why is it not the greatest? Why is it not the greatest? Well, like faith, hope is temporary. Hope is temporary. And in verse 8 of chapter 13, we see that knowledge will one day come to an end. And in, and in fact, all the, gifts, all the gifts will come to an end with the day that Jesus returns. There will no, be no more need for forgiving uh, of, of money or of, of things. There will be no more need of prophesying. There will be no more need of, of faith or of hope when that day comes. Later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, somewhere around in chapter 15, Paul talks about and addresses that if we are not hopeful in the resurrection of Christ, then what, 
What do we have hope in? That our hope is pointless. But if we hold on to the hope that Christ will return, then on that day, our hope will be made complete. So we can see that faith and hope are great things. But they're not the greatest. So the second thing that we do see in verse 13 of this chapter is that love is the greatest. Have you ever asked yourself why this is? I mean, like, have you ever really thought and said, man, why is love the greatest of these three things? Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't. I really didn't. Until, not until I really started focusing in and studying and looking at this and, 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 and paying attention to this. So in order to really grasp the strength of love and of the greatness of love, let's, let's take some steps back. Let's go back to verse 4 and let's look at, uh, at this definition, how Paul defines love and what love really is. You know, as I stated before, Paul wrote this letter to help fix the problem of boasting in certain situations within the church in Corinth. In fact, in this particular chapter, is right smack dab in his instruction on spiritual gifts. Right in the middle. And, and uh, so in this particular chapter, or in this particular uh, section, Paul uh, describes love. And he points back to things that he's already talked about previously. In the first 12 chapters of this letter, love is patient. Referring to chapter 11, wait for each other in times of communion. Love is kind. In chapter 6, he says, talks about stop treating each other with contempt. Love does not envy. In chapter 12, stop worrying about what gift everyone else has and use your own. It doesn't matter if that person has the gift of giving or if that has, person has the gift of music or if that person has the gift of faith. or if that, It doesn't matter. Use your own gift. Stop desiring something somebody else has. Man, I wish I could do that. Love does not boast. In chapter 1, he says, if you're going to boast, boast in Christ. Boast in Christ. Love is not arrogant. In chapters 1 through 6, he basically spells out by the end of those first six chapters, your wisdom is meaningless. What you think you are wise in, you are not. Love is not rude. In chapters 8 and chapter 11, he says, basically quit pushing people around in their faith and stop interrupting people in worship. Love is not self-seeking. In chapter 12, you cannot gain gifts by force, only what is given by the Spirit. Only what is given to you by the Spirit. Love is not irritable. In chapters 1 and 6, he says, Stop the divisions and stop suing your brothers for crying out loud. Love does not keep records of wrong. Your heritage and your past sin means nothing now that you belong to Christ. He talks about that in chapters 1 and 6. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Stop accepting the ongoing sin that's in your life and your body. He talks about that in chapter 5. Love rejoices with the truth, always bears all things, always believes all things, always hopes in all things, and always endures all things. These last five things that Paul mentions here is what he wanted the Corinthians to learn throughout his whole discourse to them. That if they were to simply love each other, 
that they would rejoice in the truth of the Spirit and endure, trust, hope, and persevere all things together as a body, not individuals. There are other places that these virtues apply, and I don't think that this is an exhausted list of what love is. Love is so much more than just these things. But you see, this isn't the first time that Paul used this word love in his letter to the church in Cor- to the church to Corinth. He weaves love throughout the whole book of 1 Corinthians, and this is just kind of a culmination of his thoughts all together. That love is the greatest. Love is the greatest thing above all that they were spiritually blessed by God. Specifically, he's saying that it doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. That if you do not love while sharing your gift, it serves no purpose other than your own self-righteousness and gratification. And yet, love was one of the least used gifts by the church in Corinth. So we still haven't answered the question, why is love the greatest of faith and hope? The answer is actually in verse 8. Verse 8 of chapter 13. And it's the first three words of this chapter where it says that love, uh, often translated, it says love never fails. Love never fails. We sing that song a lot. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. We sing that a lot. We we say this all the time, probably. Uh, and, uh, And that is true. Where that's true, and, and, and that if they did love each other that way, the way, you know, love never fails, and then it would never fail them to be united in the Spirit together. However, this word, uh, this word used for fails, pipti, is, is the Greek word, is how you say it, say pipti. Can you say that? Pipti. Three of you got it. All right, and all the rest of you, I'm not even trying, and that's okay. Um, uh, Pipti, it's, it's actually, it, it can also refer to and tr- be translated as doesn't cease. It never ends. And really, in the context of what Paul is talking about here in all of verses 8 through 13, this makes a lot more sense because uh, he, he answers this question as to why love is the greatest. Because faith and hope are going to fade away. But love will never cease. Love will never cease. It's eternal. That's probably why we use it for weddings so much. You know what I'm saying? I love you for all eternity. I'm going to love you forever. And I will always love you. It's why we choose the wedding ring. A symbol of the undying. It's circular. It has no beginning and no end. It's an unending symbol of loving someone. You see, we need to be careful not to take love out of context and only make it about what happens between a man and a wife or what happens in a family or what happens to an important relationships, or, or just between people that we like. The true context of love is far deeper than this. Love is how we ought to treat each other in the church and out of the church. Because that's the way that God loves us. With an unending love. I'd like to go over a little bit further into the Scriptures to show you why love is the greatest 
Matthew 5.44, and then again in chapter 6, 27, and 35. Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Matthew 22, 37-40, Jesus says that the, the first, uh, first and second greatest commandment, the first one is to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, A new command I give to you that you love one another. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from your Lord. Love one another. First, uh, first John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts. So, we can see that faith and hope are two, greatest, two great things. Yet because they are temporary, they're not the greatest. Love is eternal. And that's what makes it the greatest. And only when we unite ourselves with the greatest of these, this eternal love, then we can love the way, the world, the way that God loves the world. You know, John writes a lot about love in all of his letters, and probably none of them are as elegant as 1 John. And uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, and, and in this passage we see the way that God loves the church and the world. I'm going to read this to you. I just simply want you to close your eyes. Some of you have your eyes closed already and you have had for the past 10 minutes. Um, I've been watching. It's cool. It's all right. They say that sometimes, you know, sleeping helps you subconsciously internalize things. So it's good. At any rate, I'm going to, I'm going to read this uh, passage to you. I want you to just kind of reflect on these words that are being said uh, Maybe uh, focusing on the cross might be something that might be a, a good thing for you as far as being reflective. But I want to read these words to you, so um, here we go. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know that, and we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love. And the one who remains in, in love remains in God and, rema- and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. For the, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. See, in this chapter, in this, in this little passage, we see that God has loved us enough to give us his son to die on the cross for us. We know that. We accept that. We understand that. We sing about it. We, we proclaim it when we take communion. We, we, we live that a lot. And he loved us enough to forgive us of our sins that we no longer stand condemned. And he's willing to forgive all the wrongs that we have committed. He loves us in spite of our mess and commands us to love each other the same. And so if God loves us with this kind of love, this eternal love, Are we loving each other with that same kind of love? If we don't show love for each other, then how in the world do we expect the world to listen to us when we try to love them and share the gospel? When we use our gifts that the Spirit has given to us, do we use them in love to edify the church or ourselves? You see, God's love, God loves the whole world as much as he does you and me. And so then, the question then becomes, do we see the world through God's eyes? Or do we only see the anger, the frustration, the hate, the evil people? Do we love and have compassion on them as sinners the way that God did? These people that don't realize the wrong that they're committing against God. People who need to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So folks, it just boils down to this. This eternal love. If loving the world is our mission as a church, as Christians, it has to start with loving each other here in the church. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you love us with an unending love. God, that you are willing to to send your son here to this earth to, to die for us. God, that we can have the forgiveness of sins just because you love us that much. And you want to be with us forever. God, it's my prayer today that we see love the same way. That we're willing to love each other. We're willing to love the world 
way that you do. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to come at our time to res- of response, and uh, we're going to uh, ask some of the prayer team to come up here at the front. Um, and uh, maybe you're here today, and, and you realize that there's someone that you've been unloving to. Maybe you've mistreated somebody here in this body. Maybe you've held a gift over their head and kind of been boastful about it. Maybe this is, you know what, today is the day to let all of that go. To reconcile with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to uh, just to love the way that Paul defines it. Because love never ends. Maybe you're here today and you have some sort of sin in your life that you need to relinquish to God. Today is the day to do that. Don't wait. Because His love for you never ends. Maybe you're here today and you've never had someone to tell you that they love you the way that God loves you. Perhaps you've never accepted Christ's salvation for your life. And that salvation that God offers through His Son. You know, today is that day for you to accept that. Don't, don't wait. Don't make excuses. Because you're just going to find another one. Be obedient to God. Call on His name. Be immersed into Him. For the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. His love for you does not end. He wants you to accept it. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to put your spiritual gifts to use. Do so in love. I'm going to be over here. If you have a decision to make, I want you to come over here and and let's talk. If you need prayer, our prayer teams are going to be over and around the room. Uh, Just go find somebody. Just don't leave today without understanding this love that God has for you. Let's all stand.